This podcast is brought to you by ClearBridge Investments. Meet an evolving economy confidently with ClearBridge Active Equities, the foundation of a resilient portfolio. ClearBridge, a Franklin Templeton company. Go to clearbridge.com to learn more. Hello, and welcome to The Way Forward. I'm Scott Wenger, Editorial Director of Barron's Advisor. Today, we welcome Jack Peterson, co-founder and managing partner of Summit Trail Advisors, which is Barron's 45th-ranked RIA firm, managing or advising on about $11.4 billion in client assets. Jack and I are going to discuss the best strategies and avenues for growth, the merits of being part of an advisory network, diversity and inclusion, and thinking about planning post-COVID. Jack, thank you very much for joining us. Hey, thanks, Scott. Great to be here. Thank you. Let's dig in. I was intrigued by something you told us last year, that growing through acquisition is far more difficult than you, than you expected. Why is that? Well, I, I think as we set out with Summit Trail five and a half years ago, 2015, um, I thought it would be relatively easy to find like-minded advisors running similar practices uh, at the broker-dealers, at the banks, who uh, would be looking for the same thing we had found and, and, and created. And um, I wasn't too worried about the logistics and the, the legal and the structuring. It was really uh, a focus and a thought that we could find like-minded advisors. And what surprised me and, and what has proven out to be the difficult aspect of, of M&A is finding like-minded advisors with a similar client base. Summit Trail, uh, you know, we, we focus on ultra-high net worth clients, average clients about $30 million in investable net worth, and um, we don't do well with small clients. And it doesn't mean we don't service them well. A, a client takes a lot of time. A million dollars is a lot of money. It, it's, a, it's a significant responsibility. We take that very seriously. Um, so is a $100 million family. They take a lot of time. It's hard to scale um, a high-touch, high-service business with smaller clients. And so we've been very disciplined uh, in our focus on 25 and above. Uh, and, and so as I'm out there meeting with advisors and networking, I find a lot of great advisors, but they tend to have a mix of clients. They have many small, you know, under $5 million clients, and then they'll have a number of, of high net worth clients, you know, five, 10, 15, and they'll have a number, but a small number of larger clients. And that business uh, does not fit well in, in Summit Trail. Uh, everything else about M&A has worked really well. Um, we leverage a lot of good partners in the space. We've had really good uh, execution and transitions. So it's really the client fit of the business that has been the challenge for us. So I, I know you've said that you've wanted to add one office and one or two advisor teams per year over the coming five years. I know you've had some success with that the past couple of years, but are you on track for those goals? I would, uh, to be honest, I'll, I'll describe that as behind and it's, it's my responsibility. So it's a self-criticism. Uh, we, we launched with three teams in, in uh, July of 2015. Um, we had two more teams join us later that year. Uh, we're now up to nine teams. Um, and so uh, we've gone from uh, three to nine over five and a half years. Um, so that pace feels okay. Um, it is lumpy. Um, you can't really control or time when you find a great team. You just, you're always out there looking. 
Uh, we have six offices now. I think we're very well represented in the northern half of the United States, but we have not created the physical presence that we desire um, in the southern half of the United States. So Southern California, Texas, Atlanta, or the southeast, uh, Florida, big, big markets that we need to have a physical presence. So we'll be working on that in the coming years. So we'll watch this space. Uh, I know you're a partner on the Dynasty Financial Partners platform. Uh, for our listeners, tell, the, tell us, how did you decide on Dynasty? Because obviously Dynasty has competition. And also tell us how they've helped you fund your M&A deals. Dynasty has been a great uh, partner of ours. Um, I knew having run the Lehman Wealth Management business um, that what we were going to do at Summit Trail uh, was going to be important. Uh, we thought it would be very uh, good for our clients, but I also knew it would be complicated. And having never set up a firm before, uh, the founding partners and I, we all agreed early on that we wanted to find a partner to help design, uh, execute, and, and grow the business in the early years. And as we evaluated a number of different partners and vendors in the space, uh, obviously Dynasty and Focus were the two large firms at the time. Uh, you know, both firms have talented uh, people, very different business models. Uh, we ended up selecting Dynasty um, over Focus uh, because of the front end work that they do in designing uh, the firm and, and helping you launch. But also, we weren't ready to sell a stake in our firm. And that's the Focus model. It's a great model. It was just too early for us. Uh, I also think we really fell in love with the Dynasty people. Um, they had a national presence. We were opening three offices on the same day, New York, Chicago, San Fran. Um, so they had a big team out in the field ready to go. And uh, they were really helpful in, in the design and in the launch of the firm. Great. Let's circle back on that uh, question on your M&A aspirations and how Dynasty helps with that couple of different ways that we work with Dynasty on M&A. Uh, number one, uh, they source deals for us. So they've got a, a big network and a, an active team out in our industry looking uh, for like-minded uh, advisors. And um, they've helped us uh, uh, identify and, and attract uh, those teams. Uh, secondly, uh, they've helped us with financing. Um, they were important in our efforts to arrange a, a sizable line of credit early uh, uh, in our launch. And uh, we, we probably could not have done that without Dynasty. And I, I think the terms and the structure uh, were negotiated, I, I think, with Dynasty's uh, size and, and buying power. So we've had a really good uh, relationship with a bank uh, through Dynasty. Uh, and then lastly, you know, they have a number of flexible capital products. So depending on the firm and and what you're trying to do, uh, you can deploy a number of different um, equity and debt-like instruments uh, the dynasty's created. And uh, we've not deployed uh, those equity uh, or, or debt products yet. Uh, but as we grow and I think about our partnership, uh, they're relatively attractive and they're, and they're getting more and more relevant uh, for, for our firm. But line of credit has been critical and uh, terms are competitive, and they've got a team of experts. So uh, I've got people I can call, you know, moments notice, talk about a deal, structure, uh, competition, et cetera. So important partner of ours. Yeah, I can see why you're identifying that. It's one thing to have 
the uh, to feel like you're in sync, that you've got a good connection with a potential partner. But of course, this is business and the line of credit and the scale and scope of the business are, are key pillars. And without that, it might not work. You know, as all of us have been thinking uh, about being on the cusp of uh, a year plus with COVID, how do you think Summit Trail as a business will look when COVID is hopefully finally in the rearview mirror? Anxious to get there. Uh, I like uh, Johns Hopkins, April, May. Uh, I'm ready. I, I think everybody's ready. Uh, and I, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to evolve. I, I think we're all going to anxiously uh, you know, reconnect in person. We'll all be back in the office uh, part-time. And I think that's going to feel really good. Uh, but I, I do think we have to be realistic. Uh, we have to, to balance uh, the work experience with the, the private life experience of each of our employees. Uh, Work-life balance has always been important at Summit Trail, but we, we work long hours. I think what we've all learned in literally 12 months to the week here of COVID, um, we can be highly productive um, out of the office. And I think advisors have been doing that forever, but I think the entire firm, and I think most firms have found multiple ways to, to be productive and be effective. So I think post-COVID, there will be sort of this quick, you know, reconnect back in the office, but I don't think it's going to be five days a week. And uh, we now have employees uh, scattered around. So we're going to have to think about flexible workspace. Um, we're not going to stay remote. We're going to get back together. Uh, but I don't think it will necessarily be five days a week. We're going to really, uh, I think, have to and probably want to be flexible. Employees who want to be in the office uh, five days a week would love to have them. Uh, clients uh, and employees who want to balance that out a little bit and maybe not be in every day. Um, I, I think we're going to, we're going to embrace that. I don't think we'll have as many client meetings in the office uh, for a long time. And I think even in home meetings where we see most of our clients, I think clients have found a way to adapt to, to video and audio conferencing with uh, the various platforms. We are finding that to be highly productive, easier to schedule, meetings, especially with our larger uh, multi-generational clients. Yeah, I've heard many uh, technology writers and other societal commenters say that we've advanced a decade in a year on that front. Uh, if you think about the number of video meetings you're in before COVID and how it required uh, a lot of coordination and setup, and now it's just second nature. I'm curious, though, have you been to your office? I know you're working from home, uh, but have you been to your office in the past year? After the first few months, we've had somebody going in um, almost every day uh, to our New York office uh, where operations and uh, technology are all, are all based. So we've had somebody in the office. I'm going in uh, roughly once a week uh, when I'm up in the New York tri-state area. I'm spending about half my time in South Carolina and half my time in the Northeast. Um, and it's good. it is good to get into the office Um but we also, you know, we have some daily operations that need to be taken care of, and we, we spread that responsibility across a number of different employees. Just mail and packages, uh, you know, you've got to continue to run the business. So, uh, but I do think the client, most importantly for us, the client has accepted the, the video interaction as a uh, acceptable uh, platform. You can have really important, meaningful conversations with clients and prospects. Uh, over video. And I don't think that was nearly as accepted pre-COVID. And I think now most clients 
they like it, they get it, and it's it's more productive for them as well. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, there's no commuting time. There's uh, no prepping, uh, you know, the way that everything is just kind of in your home and you can get everything set. It could be even just more time efficient. Uh, so that's that's an obvious answer, I think, to what I wanted to ask you next. But beyond the adaptability and the productivity of video meetings, have you had other top work from home surprises in the past year? It's a good question. I, you know, the one thing that has surprised me, uh, and I didn't realize it until my wife told me, uh, I was doing it, but I find myself having calls with clients, uh, 24 seven, uh, the mobile phone, right? Every client has your mobile, but normally clients call between nine and five or eight and seven, but they're trying to get you during the business day. And they, most clients tend to leave you alone on the weekends, not all, but most, um, it's, it's become a, a seven day work week and it has become a six thirty or 7 AM to eight, nine, 10 o'clock. I'll get a client, you know, he'll text me, uh, and he'll say, Hey, listen, I, I, I quick question. Are you, you know, are you awake or do you have five minutes? And, uh, so they're polite about it. Uh, but I am, I'm finding myself having those conversations, uh, really from early morning to late at night, uh, other breaks during the day. So it's a nice, it's a nice mix. Uh, but I am surprised at the client's uh, uh, willingness and, and comfort in um, in wanting to hop on a call. I mean, last night, uh, 8.30, you know, I'm in the middle of an episode of Peaky Blinders and and the mobile phone starts to buzz. So um, you've got to, you've got to, and you, you know what? You want to talk to your clients when they want to talk to you. So you drop what you're doing and you take the call. So um, I think that's been the biggest surprise. Um, they... They want to talk, uh, but they're not long conversations. It's quick. You've got to be responsive. You've got to be available. I think a takeaway from that is that in order to ward off burnout from working from, as you said, especially when your business is national and you've got people on Pacific time and East Coast time and, and the two time zones in between, you know, there's the trade-off as a responsible professional who's invested and and feels ownership of a, of a business that it's not that big a deal to lose 20 minutes late at night when you can get something off your mind and it's done. But can you then find the adaptability so that way in the middle of the next day or three days later, you know, you could go for to run an errand or do some exercise or, you know, have a personal lunch, you know, that you might not have otherwise done back when you're at your office five days a week. But Finding the balance through new routines and habits uh, might be what's called for. Do you, do you see the merit in that? You know, Scott, I think that's great insight there. The, the day has become fluid. At the end of the day, you've got to have a couple meals. You've got to do your work. You've got to take care of yourself. That's a shower at some point. That's a workout at some point. Uh, that's a mental break at some point. Reading, you know, watching Peaky Blinders, whatever it might be. Uh, but it used to start in a sequence, get up, take a shower, commute, work, or maybe gym first, then work, uh, or then gym, uh, you know, home after dinner, whatever. Uh, it, 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 now it's just very fluid. Every day is different. Um, and you, you just got to go with the flow. And, and I think most people are relatively uh, adaptive that way. Um, but I think you can be incredibly productive. I, I feel like I'm working more hours, uh, but I feel good and I'm, I'm getting my workout in or my walk in. Um, I'm getting some family time. Um, it's been a very different experience, but I think 
a lot of suffering and obviously uh, terrible uh, loss of life. But when you set those elements aside, I feel very fortunate uh, looking back on on my COVID experience. Um, and it's it's certainly brought our family closer together. And it sounds like you've uh, had some good viewing time as well. So I know our listeners will appreciate the recommendation on that front uh, of Peaky Blinders. But, you know, in, in thinking about it, as you were just saying that, um, you know, the experience of the past year has been so divergent. Uh, we hear a lot of confidence in emphasizing long-term thinking and doing our best to feel strong. But, you know, we also know we've heard a lot about suffering this past year. You know, it was a very different crisis, but you survived the Great Recession and the collapse of Lehman Brothers, where you were a top wealth management executive. How does that experience with adversity help your perspective on making it through difficult periods? That was easily the most painful uh, professional or business experience of my life. Um, I never want to go through that again. It was really scary. I think what we face as a country, but also specifically Lehman Brothers. And, you know, we had a thousand employees and 95 billion of, of AUM, and you did not know what was going to happen the next day. Um, and watching that business unravel quickly and fortunately, you know, getting bought by Barclays the last minute, you know, we lived to fight another day. Um, that experience taught me a lot about myself and really about just people in general. And uh, deep down, I think most people are, are very, very well-intentioned, uh, but everybody has a different level of, of stress that they can tolerate and deal with before they start to, uh, you know, they start to get off the rails a bit and, and may not be as, uh, as rational. Um, and that's fine. Everybody is different. Uh, I think this pandemic was very difficult because it, it was a, it was a financial crisis that was really started by uh, a, a health crisis. Like 08, we did not know anything about COVID. We did not know what was going to happen the next day with the virus. Um, but I think we all know a lot more about the markets going through 08, 09. So I think there was much more calm in regards to the markets and securities and pricing and also confidence in our government. Um, and, and all aspects of, of the government. And I think the Fed in particular was incredibly helpful in calming the markets. And when you had muni bonds down five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten percent 10% for a couple of days there, um, that was scary. And, and, and that was alarming. And for the Fed to come in and calm the markets, uh, that really shortened the crisis, uh, both in length of time and depth of sell-off but really every asset was, was going down in value. So, um, and that was somewhat different than, than 08. So, um, I, I learned in 08 that you, you are really capable of almost anything. Um, you need people, you need to take a problem on with a team. You've got to delegate, but you also have to trust in yourself. You have to trust in the system. And I think we've all learned, uh, really how incredibly strong this country is the vaccine um, it, it's, it's a miracle. It, it's a, it's a healthcare bioscience, uh, miracle. It's a record. Um, and, and now the distribution is finally kind of in place and we're getting everybody vaccinated and we're going to, according to president Biden, you know, we're going to be, you know, done vaccinating, uh, you know, late spring, early summer. So, um, we've all survived it. 
um, you know, for those obviously who um, physically lived, uh, uh, survived it. But um, the loss of life is is shocking. And I saw a stat last night, uh, uh, 20% of Americans have lost uh, somebody, you know, close to them or in their family, I think was the stat. Um, it's a shocking stat. It's, it's scary. It's sad. It's affected the country. Uh, the Northeast, I think in particular, where I spend half my time, psychologically is in a completely different place than the Southeast. Uh, so it's definitely taken its toll on our country uh, physically and loss of life, economically, but also psychologically. It's going to take some time, but that is coming. I, I think this recovery, and I think we'll probably talk more about that, is going to be powerful. I appreciate your thoughts on that. Um, you know, in thinking about your firm and uh, preparing for today's podcast, I saw that uh, no one is CEO at your firm. You have, a, you have about two dozen equity-owning partners. Detail for us why that management structure makes sense and is effective. It's a it's a good question. We could talk for hours on this one, uh, but it's it's uh, it's one of my favorite topics. Uh, Summit Trail is a private partnership. We're employee owned. Um, we have twenty two currently twenty two equity owning partners. Uh, we don't have a CEO because uh, I was a CEO at Lehman Brothers, and and you run a large business, I think, differently then you run a small firm. Uh, in our business, uh, we are owned by our advisors. Um, the advisors are the majority owners of Summit Trail. Uh, everything we do uh, is uh, focused on the client, their needs, and, and really what is best for them. So no CEO means uh, consensus building. Uh, everybody has an ownership stake and, and they vote their pro rata share in decisions. Um, it can be slow. It, it can be cumbersome. It can be frustrating for certain personalities. And I'm okay with that because in the end, I think we have a stronger base uh, supporting any important decision. Um, I think that uh, most of us grew up at the big firms, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, et cetera. That's a top-down organization uh, you're being told each day or each year, you know, what to focus on and, and really how to execute your role. Uh, Summit Trail is very different. We've really created a hybrid. Uh, it's a blend of, of private partnership combined with uh, what I think of sort of the best of the broker-dealer world. High-performing advisors that are talented, good investors, but also uh, very good at business development. And, and to attract that type of advisor, uh, we believe you need to have a formulaic payout. We have 40% payout. Uh, but also um, getting away from some of that hierarchy and bureaucracy, the, the flat, widely held organization with that managing partner as opposed to CEO um, has created a culture that we all really connect with and, and we believe in. And it's, it's working very well for us. Let's uh, pivot to diversity and inclusion. Uh, to what extent does that come up in conversations with clients? And at the firm, where have you found success on that front? A really important topic. Um, it comes up in conversation with clients. Um, prior to 2020, it was a conversation. I, I think uh, 2019, 2020, the, the, the more recent couple of years, it has become a a front burner topic. And uh, for us, as a smaller firm, you know, 57, 58 employees, um, we felt like we, we, could, we could do something about it. 
I think this time it's different. I think the country acknowledges we have uh, problems. It's not a problem, multiple problems. And I feel encouraged that we are, we collectively, the United States, we're going to do something about it. And and you're seeing that happen. Um, many good examples kind of throughout the country. Uh, for us at Summit Trail, uh, you know, we had um, really almost Every employee sign up for, I think at the end, we have every employee on a working committee. We created committees around uh, uh, five different uh, uh, foundational components of our plan, uh, education, uh, people, philanthropy, uh, investments, and and then uh, social awareness. And um, we organized quickly. Um, We had four or five employees kind of take the lead, not me. kind of across the firm. Um, they organized our views. Uh, we have nine different uh, action items that we're working on. Uh, it's uh, COVID has definitely slowed us down. Um, but um, I, I think uh, financial literacy and, and getting involved um, in the local schools um, is, uh, is going to be an important one for us. Um, that will pick up uh, probably in the fall with the end of COVID. Could you share one or two of those action items as there might be relevant to other firms? Sure. So with education on under that um, part of our overall plan, um, we have worked uh, with a, a number of, of outside uh, business partners uh, to identify schools and various programs that will involve uh, funding and also volunteer time, depending on the part of the country and the, and the, and the program we're going to plug into, uh, we'll either be going into classrooms to be teaching financial literacy, or we'll be funding uh, a financial literacy curriculum, uh, at various schools. And I think given our industry and the importance of learning earlier in life, not later in life, um, the, the basics of how to run a household, how to run your personal financial life is incredibly valuable for young people. Um, the, 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 the dangers of debt as an example. So, uh, that is one on the, on the people side, um, we are uh, rolling out a, uh, minority focused, uh, internship program. And, uh, again, we're working with, uh, other partners around identifying the sources, uh, what schools, where can we find, um, the good fit of, of talented, uh, minority, uh, candidates in their sophomore and junior years. And again, COVID, um, you know, kind of slowed us down on that, but um, we will be uh, deploying that uh, uh, internship program. Um, We're working on identifying uh, recruiters that specialize. Um, Now they're all in demand right now. We're all, I think we're all trying to do the same things, which is probably good and bad. Um, Awareness, you know, we started a a book club. So, you know, we have uh, a group that gets together, decides on a book. Um, that is relevant to the diversity, inclusion, social awareness um, content, and uh, and it functions like any other uh, 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 book group. Uh, lastly, I'll mention investing. So ESG, impact investing, really important. Um, we actually found a manager uh, through Dynasty, uh, Stonecastle. Uh, it's a uh, money market kind of short-term cash management platform, but they're stacking uh, bank deposits across uh, community banks in those uh, economically challenged uh, 
neighborhoods and in cities and towns across the United States. So uh, Summit Trail took uh, a good part of our free uh, cash deposits, and we moved it to Stone Castle. Um, you earn a competitive rate of interest, but you're now taking your capital into this banking system, and those deposits are now providing the collateral uh, for the banks to make uh, loans to uh, minority uh, local business owners. So you're helping them grow their asset base so they can do the work that uh, helps communities that don't always get those kinds of uh, opportunities. Those banks are starved for deposits. And if they have more deposits, they can make more local community loans. So it's funding loans. Um, and we've rolled that out to clients. We've had many clients who've opted in to take some of their cash balance uh, and move that over to Stone Castle. So that, that's an easy one. That feels good. I want to quickly focus on a client question. I know uh, the way you've structured the firm, you tend to have, as you've said, uh, UH&W clients, uh, professional athletes. How do you work to protect those kinds of clients from uh, potential problems and threats like creditors? Well, athletes are, uh, and celebrities in general, they're a bigger target they're a bigger target because they're, they're more, their wealth, they have deep pockets. they have deep pockets and their wealth is more public. Whether they actually have as much as you think they do is really irrelevant. They're, they're viewed as rich. And, and so anybody who is wealthy, um, if that wealth is publicly known, um, it does increase your chances of, of targeting. And, um, you know, we believe in working with high quality, um, uh, T&E lawyers in, in structuring um, estate plans. And in particular, you've got the transition of wealth, right? How are you going to transfer your wealth from generation one to generation two? That's estate planning 101. But I think in the world we live in today, um, creditor protection, asset protection uh, is equally important. And, and so through uh, a number of, of very common uh, trusts and LPs and FLPs, there are ways to to wrap your assets uh, to create um, a layer or multiple layers between you, the owner, um, and the actual asset. And um, you know, the best example is um, is a car accident. The first thing that happens when somebody uh, you know hits somebody else in a car, there's insurance companies and uh, lawyers get involved. And if somebody is wealthy and they actually were the cause of the accident, um, there's now uh, uh, an opportunity for the victim or so-called victim to, to pursue, um, you know, to pursue the, the wealthy person. And so um, I think uh, it's, it's, I don't think it's highly proprietary, but we're very disciplined. Uh, we're very careful we want to make sure our clients understand all of their risks. We go through a, a risk assessment, and um, and that kind of targeting uh, is is one of uh, on a long list of of risks that our clients need to be aware of. And a, we make sure they're aware of each and every risk. Then we agree that they have that exposure or they don't, and then we agree on or or evaluate have they properly hedged or protected themselves from each of those risks. It, it creates a gap analysis where we say, okay, you've got four or five exposures that you didn't know about that we need to go ahead and, and find the best way to protect you. And creditor protection is, is, a, is a really, uh, it's an important one and it's getting more important. People like to sue. 
That is for sure. Well, I've appreciated all the strategies you've shared in our in our conversation. And as we uh, get close to time, I'd love to conclude with a Barron's tradition. We ask our guests for one final actionable idea that listen, listeners can put right into practice. Can you tackle that for us? Sure. So I would probably focus on the investments. I mean, the, I, there's two elements, tax right now um, with Georgia Senate uh, seats going to the Democrats, the control they have now. I think tax reform is obviously back on the table. Uh, we're spending time with our clients focused on tax. That's a big, complicated topic. Um, and I would not want to try to give a specific uh, actionable item today other than if you're not talking about tax with your clients, uh, you should be. Um, I think the more actionable item on the investment side for us uh, is emerging markets and, and specifically Southeast Asia. Um, China was, you know, kind of ground zero with COVID. They, they shut it down quickly. They're clearly ahead of us and the rest of the world in their recovery. A strong China uh, will pull a, a ton of uh, economic activity into the region. So, Throughout Southeast Asia, India being a big country, obviously China, um, you need to have exposure there. And uh, you know we we still believe in alpha um, here at Summit Trail, and there are you know a number of SMAs, uh, LPs, and mutual funds uh, in the emerging market space. Uh, but we are trying to focus on that Southeast Asia, Asia region. Um, of the emerging markets universe, because we think there's going to be really strong growth, and 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 it's it's going to run for a while. So this is not really a a tactical, you know, short term trade. This is a a longer term tilt for us uh, that we think will generate um, excess returns. Fascinating. I know that uh, advisors really need do need to think about the the portfolio structures that they have for their clients and how exposed are they to where all the opportunities are now and might be in the years to come. Jack, thanks so much for your time today and sharing your knowledge. Uh, a terrific conversation. And thanks to all of you for listening. Tune in next week for our Barron's Advisor podcast, Actionable Intelligence with Steve Standusky. Steve will have a conversation with author and consultant Robert Fritz about organizational structure. We'll be back in two weeks with another edition of The Way Forward. This podcast is brought to you by ClearBridge Investments. Meet an evolving economy confidently with ClearBridge Active Equities, the foundation of a resilient portfolio. ClearBridge, a Franklin Templeton company. Go to clearbridge.com to learn more.